0: The last three weeks we've been in a service, in a series about Elijah, and today we're shifting to a new series about Elisha. Elijah, Elisha. I don't know why God didn't have Elijah call like Bob or like Alejandro or something, but instead he chose Elisha just to make it confusing for us, you know, his choice. So today, moving into the story of Elisha, we're calling this series um, A Tale of ridiculous. Faith. I did, to, today we're talking about ridiculous commitment. Elijah was an ordinary guy who had some ridiculous faith. So, if we're starting off this series talking about, and series is going to be about ridiculous faith, faith, I want to look up um, what the word ridiculous means. So, this is the Webster Dictionary of ridiculous, arousing or deserving ridicule, extremely silly or unreasonable, absurd preposterous, using a sentence. That elf costume you're going to wear for Christmas is ridiculous. Ridiculous, absurd, preposterous. So Elijah's ridiculous faith maybe looked absurd and unreasonable. But also you notice that like some words now um, maybe used to have a negative connotation and now they have a positive connotation. We've like moved to that. Like if something is like, something is totally sick, it's like it's not like you threw up because you saw it or whatever, or someone threw up on it, like six, like, that is awesome, something is totally sick. So here is the um, urban slang dictionary definition of ridiculous, extremely impressive, unbelievable, very good, excellent, cool, awesome, ridiculous, that was ridiculous, dude, (laughs) ridiculous, ridiculous faith. So we're talking about the ridiculous faith of Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha. I think it's somewhere in between these two definitions of ridiculous, maybe absurd, maybe very good and excellent, cool, awesome. Today, we're going to look at the beginning of his ministry, the ridiculous um, commitment, the calling of Elisha. So Elisha was um, a guy lived in the 19th century BC. Um, The Old Testament is the story of the nation of Israel. And so it's following that story. So this is in the middle of that story before Jesus. Um, The nation of Israel is divided. It's full of idolatry. We've talked about some of that in our former series. Um, And so this is the time when Elisha lived. um, Even though sometimes maybe we don't talk about him a lot or have heard about him, Elisha actually performed the most miracles out of anyone in the Bible except for Jesus. He's the one who um, we're going to be talking about. Some of those miracles that happened, um, but he performed the most miracles anyone in the Bible besides Jesus before he was a prophet. Um, he was just an ordinary guy. He wasn't like the son of a prophet or the priest or went training in seminary or he was really just an, a normal guy. He was working on his father's farm, living at home, average guy when he was called. So, But we're going to look at his calling and his ridiculous commitment. So here is the account. It's in 1 Kings. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, said Elijah. Elijah replied, what have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. The account of Elijah and his calling. So here's the, how many of you plow for a living? Shocking. I thought for sure there'd be a couple of you (laughs) plowing for a living. So let's visualize this in our minds since it's not what we do every day. So Elijah, ordinary guy on his father's farm, Parents' farm. He's plowing. It would be something he'd hold the, the handles of the plow. He's plowing with a yoke of two oxen in front of him. They are pulling the plow. It's tilling up the soil. This is to begin with planting. It was hard work. It was hard labor. There's no like combines that with air conditioned cabs back in this day. Um, it's dirty, depending on the moisture level of the soil. It's like the soil is coming up on him. It's dirty. Um, he's he's plowing this oxen. What is the view that you get when you're plowing with twelve yoke of oxen? This, this is your view: oxen behinds, oxen rears that you're staring at. You're staring all day with your plow these oxen rears, and this is what his life was: but staring at oxen rears. And and maybe in this monotonous life, maybe you don't plow with oxen and look at oxen rears all day. But sometimes in our life can sort of feel like that monotony of staring at oxen rears sometimes, you know? So, maybe it's like a job, and it's a job you don't love, and it's like, I go to work, I come home, I go to work, I come home. Or, uh, you're a student, and you're like, I go to class, I take tests, I go to class, I take tests, I go to class, I take tests, so on and on, monotony. You're a parent, and you're like, I change diapers, I do laundry, I clean dishes, I change diapers, I do laundry, I clean dishes. It's like, what are we going to make for dinner for the kids? What are we going to make for dinner for the kids? What are you, it's like they need dinner every night. What are we going to make for dinner for the kids? <laughs> all the time. Just monotonous, cut, go, all these things, just day after day after day. It's staring at oxen rears. Sometimes our life can feel like it. And it's incredibly easy to lose our passion for doing life when what we're doing is staring at oxen rears to forget what, maybe your life isn't exactly what you thought it would be or that you wanted it to be, and you were like, this is, this is not the same thing every day is, is not what I thought. I was in a job at one time. I, got, I had been unemployed for nine months, and so I got a job, which you're really just glad about any job you get when you've been unemployed for nine months. And it was a great environment. It was with great people who I, I really enjoyed. But for my job, what I did is I did transcripts, and I did sorting pictures. Every day. So it was like, listen for five seconds, correct all of the letters. Listen for five seconds, correct all of the letters. sorting through pictures. This picture. Delete, slide, delete, slide. Every day. Transcripts and pictures and transcripts and pictures. And after a while, after weeks and months, I was like, what am I doing? This is not what I want to be doing. This is not what I wanted my life to be about. I'm in this job. Transcripts and pictures every day. Incredibly easy to lose our passion for doing life when we're staring at oxen rears. But Elisha, as he's doing these things, he was being faithful to what God had given him at that time. He was being faithful in his life in the small things to do them. And God loves to reward people who are faithful in the small things in their life and who are consistent in doing those small things. And in the middle of his faithful daily task, God sent something that would move him to a place of ridiculous impact in his life. We're gonna go back to the story and reread this part here. So, Elisha went up to him and threw his cloak around him. So here's here we are, picture in the story again. Elisha, we're plowing, walking along, twelve yoke of oxen, and all of a sudden this guy, Elijah, comes and throws his cloak around him. Elijah was the, the man of God. Um, he would have been known as a man of God, a, a person that Elisha looked up to, and he comes, throws his cloak around him. This is a, a symbol of him, Elijah saying to Elisha, you are now my student. I am passing on to you what was mine, what I know, and I'm investing that in you. What was my calling is now your calling. That was the symbolism of putting the cloak on him. And side note, if you missed last week, we talked a lot about the impact we can have if if we pass on what we know to the next generation, that we're we're mentoring other people and giving people what we know. Um, So if you missed that, you can watch it online. It's a great message. Um, And using the story of Elijah giving what he had to pour into Elisha. So um, in the account of this story, as Elisha's... Starting out at this call from Elijah of this cloak being put on him, there are two principles of ridiculous commitment that we see. So, this is the first principle you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. And this is what happened in Elijah's life. He was just an ordinary guy living life being faithful in what he had. But when God called him, he obeyed immediately. Immediately. And he didn't need to pray about it first. And he didn't need to ask people what they thought. He didn't go home to, to like confer with his parents. Is this a good idea? Is it not? He didn't make a pros and cons list. And like that, he was like, God is in this. I see what's happening. And I'm in. He made the commitment to obey immediately, even though he didn't understand fully. It wasn't like Elisha gave him like cloak and like a job description. Here's what you got, like to sign on the line, see if you know this is what you want to do. Elisha knew God was in this. So uh, you have to know, it's a good thing to know, prayer and wisdom and getting wise counsel is a great thing to do. It's important for sure. We have good people in our life. But if you know God's voice, it's not always necessary to take that time when you know God's voice and you know what he's saying to you, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. And maybe the next step for you today is to say, I don't have any idea what God's voice sounds like or I would have no idea if he was speaking to me. And so that's the next step to practice what it's like to listen to God's voice and what that means. But once you do know and hear God's voice, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. God's instructions and direction are often intentionally vague. He's not like, do this and here are all the details. They're often intentionally vague. He's like, I, I mean, for me, I'm like, I want to know the details before I commit to something. This is, this is what I want to know. How's it going to be? How's it going to work out? Can I do it? All the planning. And God's like, you can't handle the details. If I gave you the details, you would not show up. You would not be, you'd be like, I'm out. And so he's and often intentionally vague with us when he gives us details. So what can we do in the meantime? Something we can do if we're waiting for that is to prepare. We prepare now to respond in the present. We prepare now so that when that comes, when we hear those words from God, we're able to obey immediately. We prepare to respond in the present. Do we have margin in our life to even do that, to respond in the present? Do, you, do we have time built into our life? Or if God calls to do something, we'd be like, how about next year? I don't have time. How about, what if we wait until this happens or this happens? Do we have any time to be ready to respond to God's call? Do we have financial margin to, if God is asking us to give, whatever God is asking, do we have that built into our lives or are we living above our means and buying stuff we don't even need to impress people we don't even like? Do we have that financial? Do we have spiritual? Are we? Are we practicing our spiritual walk with Jesus and getting that to be strong, spending time with him? Or are we like, I've got time for that later. i got time for that later. I, I'll read my Bible at some other time. I'll focus on my relationship with God at another time. Or are we preparing now, preparing to be ready in the present when God does call us to do something? The times in the world right now, are, it's changing so fast. And we just don't know what's going to happen. It's so hard to predict, to plan, even like years in advance what's going to happen. And God is going to do things. He's a lot smarter than us. And he knows what's happening. And so to be able to, resp- to prepare to respond in the present so we're able to respond when God does something, when it happens. God will often guide with one word. With one Talk about less details with one word. We see this a lot in the Old Testament. He gave people one word, and they were supposed to respond to it. He, he told Moses, go. And Moses went. He told Abraham, go. Go to the land that I'm showing you. And Abraham didn't know where he was going or what the land was, and, but God said, go. Peter, in the New Testament, Peter was a disciple of Jesus, and Jesus is out, and he's walking on the water, and Peter sees him and is like, Jesus, if this is you, let me come to you. And Jesus gives him one word. He says, come. And Peter walks out of the boat. He isn't like, hey, well, do I run out on the boat? Do I step out carefully? Like how now? Do I wait for you to, he just responded. Jesus gave him one word. He said, come. And Peter responded one word for you. Maybe God is going to give one of you is going to give you one word for you to respond to. One word. Maybe it's something about marriage. You're like, I don't know what to do. And God says one word. He says, stay. Or maybe you're going through some sort of health situation. It's unknown. I don't know what we're supposed to do. I'm confused. And he gives you one word. He says, trust. And you're like, okay, I'm going to hold on to that word. I'm going to hold on to that word. Trust. Trust. Or maybe it's a, a job something, a career change, or a project you want to start, or something like that, and God says, go. Or God says, start. Start that even though you don't have the details, you don't know how it's going to work out. God says, start. Maybe it's here with church. You've been around for a while, and God says, commit. Commit. Or God says, give. God says, tithe. And you're like, I don't understand. I don't have the money to do that. I don't, you don't know my situation, and I don't. But God says, tithe, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Maybe it's baptize. Get baptized. It can be two words. It's fine. It still counts. Get baptized. (laughs) Now is the time. These are the words that you're going to hear from God. Get baptized. God can give one one word without a lot of details. Um, An example of this that is encouraging to me um, always is my dad. My dad grew up in uh, rural Nebraska, small town smaller than you think, even smaller than you think, small town. He was a farmer. His parents were farmers. His family were farmers. He was one of six children, and he was the only, uh, only child to finish college. He ended up eventually getting his doctorate. He became a teacher. And so he's teaching in Nebraska. My mom, he's got, they've got two little kids at the time. And um, Gordon College, which is on the North Shore here, um, calls him and is like, we want you to come. We want you to be here. Um, and they heard God say, go. And they were scared to death to move from their tiny town to all the way across the country in 1971 to a place that they'd never been with people they didn't know and they, with their little children and had no idea how that was going to actually go, if they could find community, if they could find a church. But God said, go, and they responded. And the the blessing that they both received and that they gave to Gordon as he became head of the education department and made decisions and choices that impact the school today, and the ways that they were blessed and that expanded their faith and the, for the 25 years that they were here in Massachusetts, what they loved, something they never thought they could do. But God said, go, and they responded. God may say one word, and you have to decide, could I have the radical faith to obey immediately even if I don't understand fully. So, first principle that we learned from Elijah's life, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Second principle is those God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. Those God uses the most are are the ones who hold on to the least. Who hold on to the least. We're going to go back to the story, um, which is in Kings. This is verse 21 of Elijah. So Elijah left him. This is after Elijah has come. Elijah, Elijah, just reminding you. Elijah has come, put his cloak around Elisha. He's like, let me go back and tell my family. Elijah's like, go ahead, see you later. And so here's part of the story. So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and to become his servant. This is Elisha's response, his response immediately to this radical, this ridiculous call to change his life from this faithful, ordinary guy who's plowing, what Elijah did. So he, he burned the oxen that he was using, which is his livelihood, which already is ridiculous. And we can also argue that that's a pretty common thing to happen in the Bible, um, that somebody would make a sacrifice when God is doing a radical thing. And so this is a symbol of of God doing something radical, a new thing that he sacrificed. But not only did he sacrifice the oxen, and And do it publicly he's like handing out the burgers to everyone in in view of everyone he's like, "I made this commitment, so hopefully it goes okay because I just told all of you and he burns he burns his plow, which is was his, was his livelihood that's not replaceable like the oxen. he burns his plow to make this meat to give out publicly to people and that that is ridiculous that's ridiculous, and I don't know if he went home, and his parents were like. could just put it in the garage and like it's there if you got to come back you know just in case and it's fine we'll leave it there for you it's you got your name on it but no he he burned it he burned it in front of everyone like he's saying there's no plan b there's plan a and it's obey god and i'm in and i'm gonna do it and that that was it that was it for elijah he burned Plan B, there is no plan B. And that's not the only account in the Bible of of people making a crazy decision, a radical decision like that, because they meet God in a crazy way. Um, That that's the disciples, for example, who were there when Jesus walked on the earth. Some of the disciples were out on a boat, and they were fishing. Again, ordinary guys. This is their livelihood. They're out fishing on their boat. And Jesus walks up to them, and he does this crazy miracle. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this God is in this I'm in, and they left their boats and their nets, and they went and they followed Jesus. When, when people are moved by God in radical ways, um, it's good to make sure you know that God is speaking to you. Again, don't, like, come into work tomorrow and say, like, I quit and burn the building down. Don't do that. It's a bad idea. If you're going to get things from me, don't get that. So make sure that you, you know. But for some of you, God is going to give you a plow-burning moment for you to choose to have ridiculous faith and respond to. Um, so, I want to share with you some of my um, plow burning story, not because I'm great, but I think that stories help build our faith when we hear about them. So, for me, I was, I was in this great job, but I was feeling like, I, I don't know, I think there's a next um, a step in my job, step in my life that, that I'm moving towards, and God gave me one word. It was a phrase. Again, it still counts. He said, something is coming. And I I didn't know what that meant. Something is coming. I didn't know any details. I was like, could you be really like any more vague? Something is coming. Like any more vague. But I knew something is coming even though I don't know what it is. And actually, by the time I left my job, I I still didn't know what it was. But I knew that that was a word that God had given me, that something new is coming. And so... Uh, you know, looked for the wisest source around, I Googled and prayed. It's my spiritual advice for you today. Googled and prayed, thinking about the rest of my life. Googled and prayed. And Googling, one thing led to another, one thing led to another, and eventually I was having these Skype conversations with these people, Colin and Liz, that lived in Michigan and who I knew didn't know at all, who I knew nothing about, and somehow we're in conversation and they're like, hey, we're going to go start a church in New England, which is one of the hardest places in the country to start a church. And we're going to do that, and we don't have any money to give you or a job, and we don't know you, but we think maybe God is in this, so if you're in, like, we're in. And I had the choice at that moment, like, I had been working at this job f- that was with one of the most influential Christian leaders in this century, and I had been working in mental health ministry doing um, things that were helping uh, mental health and destigmatizing things throughout the country and in churches all over, um, but I knew God had said something new is coming, and I was, faced, I was faced with this opportunity, and really what I went back to my mind was that time in my job staring at oxenrears, And knowing that God had something more for my life. And it was a moment that I decided I'm going to burn a plow. And that was in April and in June I packed up my car and I left California to start a new adventure with Jesus. And I don't regret that any day. I know every day I know I'm doing what God made me to do. And what a privilege it is to be here. Two years ago I had no idea. I had no idea that this would be where I was. I didn't know almost any of you in this room i had no idea we were and now this church it's such a privilege to be here and to be a part of it and it's incredible that that is something that god called me to do and if i would have chosen not to burn the plow and take the risk and go for it because i knew that god had called me even if i didn't understand where it was going to come from and i had to fundraise my money to be here and i when when i was Working it when I was in college and like talking to God about my life and what He wanted me to do, I gave Him like two things. Two things: one, Jesus, I want to spend the rest of my life helping people and telling people about You, and two, I don't ever want to fundraise, and please don't make me. It's <laughs> so, like my two things, two things that I gave God, and I'm faced with like one of the things of the two things that I just was like, I just don't ever want to do this. And so, you know, and and fundraising has been one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do, and that I'm still doing. And I've, it's been really hard. But I burned a plow and I answered the, the words that I heard God said to me and I don't regret it at all. And uh, living the best life, living an incredible life. And for you, that may not be your story. God may not ask you to move across the country and pack your car up for sure. But for you, I, maybe it's, it's leaving a job that you feel comfortable in and you hear God say go. And Maybe it's a career change. And you're like, I trained for this career. This is what I know. But you hear God saying, go. And and you're going to something else. Maybe it's a a friendship or a dating relationship that you need to, to cut off or to stop. Maybe it's getting radically getting rid of a distraction that's keeping you from more fully serving God, pursuing it. Maybe your plow's name is Netflix because somehow you have hours to binge watch series. But then you're like, I don't know. I don't have time to read my Bible. It's just my life is too busy. So, radically getting rid of a distraction that's keeping you from from serving Jesus. I I don't know what it is, but maybe you need to ask yourself today what is the plow I need to burn in my life that's keeping me from fully serving God and fully living my life for Him? Maybe it's a sin that's holding you back, it's a habit, it's a doubt, it's security. I mean, when you're plowing every day and that's all you know and that's all you've done, there's some security in that. Maybe there's numbness in that, in just doing life every day, that monotonous, going to work, coming home, going to work, coming home, and the security that you can feel in that. Maybe your hands are so full of all these other things in your life that it's like I've got something to give you. You wouldn't even be able to to take it because you're holding on many things in your life that you think are important. There's no room for you even to pick up anything that God would give you. Those God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. To take a step forward in your destiny, you have to step away from your security. To take a step forward in your destiny, you have to step away from your security. Elisha was just an ordinary guy An average guy, he was a farmer. He was just being faithful in his everyday tasks, in his ordinary life. But when God called him, he had the ridiculous faith to obey immediately, even if he didn't understand all the details. And instead of holding on to what he had, he burned plan B and said, Plan A, obey God, is all that I have. And you know, some of you may be like, you know, that's a lot all of that is a lot. Like I came to church today and I don't even know why I'm here or like someone made me come here. Like I I'm not really on board with like the Jesus thing and you're like change my whole life if that happens and that makes sense. And if you're just checking out Jesus, we're so glad that you're here and want that to continue to be true and a safe place to explore that, but maybe your first step is just is 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 learning to listen to God's voice and what that is. Maybe it's taking a- risk taking a risk and saying i don't know if you're real god but if you are speak to me and maybe i will hear you maybe it's maybe it's taking that risk maybe it's it's choosing to to make some choices to prepare to respond to respond in the present when that happens looking at your life and thinking what can i prepare so that i'm able to respond in the present. Um, and some of you, God has already given one word to. You. He has already given one word to, you, and you need to take it and you need to run and you need to burn a plow to be able to follow Jesus and have ridiculous faith. Some of you already received that word, or you're about to. We're going to actually talk about one words in our life. We're going to have a, a special New Year's Eve church service and do some, some different things, shake it up a little bit. We're going to be talking about one word. What's the one word that God is giving you for, for 2020? That one word that we don't have to fully understand to obey immediately. The best place, the best place that we can live our lives, where the most full and abundant life, where we're doing what God has made us to do, is right in the middle of God's will for us. Even if it feels scary, it's actually the best place to be right in the middle of God's will for us. We were not created to live mundane lives. Jesus never asked his followers to live mundane lives. We were, we were created, we were asked, we were called to live lives that impact the world, that have purpose and that have meaning. That's what we were created to do, that we feel inside of ourselves. We were not created for mundane life. But are we going to have the ridiculous faith like Elijah the ridiculous faith, whether it's absurd or it's really cool and awesome, both things. We're going to have the ridiculous faith, even if we don't understand fully, even if we're holding on to so much to say, I'm in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after that one word. I'm going to burn a plow. I'm going to have ridiculous faith for my life. I'm going to pray for us. Dear Father God, sometimes you ask us to do hard things, but you have plans for us for our good, because you love us. You have a plan for each of us and a purpose for each of us, and I know that you want to speak to us and you want to speak to everyone in this room about their lives. And so I pray that in people's hearts they would hear your voice, they would hear their next step, their calling, and that we would all all have courage who would all have courage in our life to take hold of some ridiculous faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.